Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery and I'm excited to have Luca Cartagini, who's the founder of ShopCircle, the number one provider of e-commerce software. ShopCircle has attracted funding from top investors like QD Investors, 645 Ventures, and Founders Factory. Welcome to the show, Luca. Thanks a lot, Roy. Very nice to talk and thanks for having me. Awesome. So, you know, um, I'm I'm quite intrigued by, by your journey. I, I, I happen to know, uh, you know, again, um, but I, I was quite interested to know, you know, what was your experience growing up in, in the UK and, you know, how did you come about starting in the uh, in the UK to do your master's? Yeah, I actually did grow up. I mean, me personally, as you can probably tell from my accent and my name, uh, I'm Italian. Uh, yeah. So I did grow up in Italy and then I moved in the UK for my master's degree um, 10 years ago in a French university called the SCP Business School, but they have a campus in uh, the UK as well. And then I never looked back. So I stayed in the UK ever since uh, for the last 10 years. I developed all my career there. So I worked initially in banking uh, right. for an investment bank called uh, Jefferies. Uh, where I was covering uh, internet retail stocks. And then I moved to a uh, family office venture capital fund called Pretiosum Ventures, where I was responsible for seed uh, and Series A investments with average size between 500K and $5 million. Um, yeah, so it was very fun. I was always like, you know, for whatever reason, more exposed to the finance side. And London is a great city, uh, both when it comes to venture capital, banking, but also to start your own company. And so three years ago, I decided to move to the other side. So from providing recommendation, gradually moving towards, you know, investing um, capital in, into tech companies and then eventually starting my own company. So we started Shop Circle three years ago together with my co-founder that I've met literally like 10 years ago during the master's degree. Um, and yeah, so we started Shop Circle three years ago and now it's a very different reality. Yeah, quite interesting, you know. Um, so as as I mentioned, you know, I came to the UK, did my did my masters, um, and then I uh, I realized that the UK ecosystem is quite vibrant and quite diverse. So you you have a lot of Italians and Spanish founders uh, in the ecosystem. I've had we we talked about Miguel from Capchase. He's done really well. But why do you think you know there's such a diversity in the UK e- ecosystem, and uh, you know? And do, did you get that support from other uh, Europeans when you're trying to, you know, raise funding for for ShopCircle? Yeah, sure. Yeah, you're right, uh, it, it, it does function as a sort of catalyst for European talents. Uh, right. It's almost like, you know, uh, U.S. somehow that attracts people from all over the continents, from South America as well, but really like all over the world from U.S. But London, particularly in the UK, um, there was an article yesterday released that even in 2023, despite Brexit and all of that, is still like number one city for amount of capital invested and raised into technologies companies uh, by far. And then obviously um, you have Paris, you have Berlin, but um, there is nothing close to London when it comes to uh, tech and finance. Um, and yeah, so. There are a lot of talents in Europe, um, especially like in the large countries, like very good school and education system. You mentioned Spain, Italy, France, 
So yeah, just uh, attracts uh, naturally uh, smart, motivated people. Obviously, starting a business in the UK is much easier as well than in uh, Southern Europe. And I know it because, you know, obviously it's Shop Circle is an LTD as a holding company, but we do have um, subsidiaries in Spain and Italy as well. And, you know, starting a business, paying taxes, starting a bank account is everything a bit more complex. Um, and obviously, on the other hand, it's also easier to have access to institutional investors from US. Um, and if you think about VC as an asset class, it was really like um, born in, in the West Coast, in the US, um, and that's where most of the capital come from, at least like for large companies. So London as a city gives a lot of visibility um, on American investors. And if I think about our three last round, they were all led by an American investor. So six for actually NFX, uh, QED, and six for five ventures. And obviously being an LTD, relatively rather than you know um a southern european company uh it it helps um also because you know usually when american investors come to europe they tend to um look at london as you know sort of like the the nucleus of all the european best companies so it's a mix of factors really and i think it's gonna stay like this despite brexit a lot of people are very pessimistic about london um and losing talents that were going back to their own countries. It did happen, especially in particular industries such as you know sales and trading, investment banking, which became a bit more fragmented and local. But in the tech space and in the VC space, we haven't seen much so far. Got it. Got it. Interesting. And and you had worked in in Jeffries and and producing ventures. I have to know Yana, but but what were some of your learnings there? And and does it make sense to you know work? Uh, in in a VC firm and then start something or, or work in a, in a corporate and then start something or what advice would you give to entrepreneurs in 2024 should they uh should they start right out of v-school yeah it's, it's an interesting question so one of the uh things that they do more as a hobby rohit is teaching entrepreneurship at university um and um and um obviously the way i do it the the, the reason why i do it is because you know in europe you have a bit of a um a stigma in starting a company straight after university and everyone goes through the same process after business school so they go in consulting they go in investment banking and then eventually they decide to do something on their own and i don't blame them i did exactly the same but the reason why i did the same was uh you don't hear real entrepreneurs in, in class i mean like you only hear people coming from mckinsey bcg goldman sachs and obviously uh it's entrepreneurship is is not that right it's like starting your own business without paying yourself a salary you have to figure out the bills uh the first round the deck the lawyers uh it's very very different so look uh, i don't think there is a, a size fit whole approach for me it did really help um to be like you know an investment banking first you learn a lot it's a very broad uh categories as well and then move to VC was also like very helpful to be very honest. Uh, why? Because you do work with a lot of early stage companies. And so it's a great uh, way to get to work with a lot of early stage companies without actually taking a risk on this company, um, or at, at, at least you personally. And um, yeah, so I would recommend like doing a VC if you want to be an entrepreneur, um, to be very honest also, because you get to see 
how to talk to investors, what are the challenges that these invest that these entrepreneurs are dealing with every single day. Um, and, but also, I don't think it's you have to go through that. I think you know there are a lot of entrepreneurs, especially in the US, Europe is happening, but a bit less that started out after university or like drop out from you know um MBA or bachelor degree and then they started their own company. So uh, both ways are possible. I think my takeaways is yeah, corporate uh working in a corporate or in a consulting firm definitely shape you. But if you want to start a company, it's better to do it relatively early rather than later, right? Because you know at some point the commitments uh, are going to be higher. The trade-off is going to be higher because you will make more money in your corporate job. So I think uh, at the age when I started Ship Circle, which was 28, 27, actually, was perfect. Um, I was just at the point where I said, okay, maybe like I won't be able to uh, be so free in terms of like commitments uh, in a number of years. And But I still have managed to have some experience, like six, seven, eight years of experience before starting it. So that was the right approach for me. Some people might be even more ready before that. Got it. Got it. Super interesting. And and what led to you know starting off a shop circle? I was, I was a fan of Thrasio and you know uh, and what they were building. But so we started with a clear goal in mind, right? It, um, like uh, two years ago, we realized that the number of applications that the brand selling online were using went up ten times over the last uh, ten years. So. Look, in 2014, 2015, especially in Shopify or in e-commerce in general, most of the brands that are our clients today were using between five and 10 apps. And now this number is between 40 and 50. And they don't want to deal with so many point of contacts and all the complexity with the integration. So we started Shop Circle with the idea of centralizing everything under one brand, one customer service channel and one partnership channel as well. And um, yeah, fast forward Shop Circle by three years, we have 41 solutions, uh, software solutions, spanning from shipping, delivery, supply chain, upselling, cross-selling under one brand. Um, and we have a team of uh, 200 people uh, all over the world. And you're right, we landed a few um, PC investors, especially from, from the US where most of our revenue comes from. So 50% of our revenue come from the US and 10% of our revenue comes from Canada, um, whereas the rest is mostly Europe um, and South America. So yeah, the proposition is really simple. We wanted to create the first operator of e-commerce tool, the Microsoft of e-commerce, basically providing brands with everything they need from a product technology perspective to operate their stores. Got it. Super interesting. And you know, I love the, the Shopify ecosystem, but are you looking to expand out of Shopify or, uh, or, or do you think, you know, Shopify, you would keep expanding to this ecosystem for the next couple of couple of years yeah it's a good question the, a bit confidential but no great question uh <laughs> look at the moment we are uh, fully focused on shopify we have uh 40 plus solutions there and obviously commerce is is a huge industry i wouldn't even call it an industry anymore right it's an ecosystem yeah. um you have trillions it's a trillions of dollar um ecosystem because it's it's about 20 percent of the retail transactions happening all over the world now imagine how much software you need to power this you know trillion dollar so yeah the starting point is shopify which is an amazing ecosystem you literally have uh 10, 000, um 
software solutions in the app stores, which is the real strength of Shopify, in my opinion, the partner ecosystem. So for every dollar that Shopify makes, their partners make six, six or seven times more, including the apps. And there are already four or five unicorn cases that started in the Shopify software um, space, so the app store, and then uh, ended up becoming uh, valued more than $1 billion. Obviously, the most notable case is Clavio, uh, which was the first PC-baked software um, IPO since 2021 after the pandemic, and it's a $8 billion company. But then there are other names such as Recharge, Attentive, Gorgeous, uh, which did very well. So Shopify is an amazing ecosystem to build software. But obviously, as you said, there is more. So never say never. The idea is that you know we serve literally all the commerce brands out there. Amazon is also pretty interesting. So let's see. Got it, got it. Super interesting. And you know, before the call, we we talked about you know revenue-based financing. I've got some great guests like Miguel from Capchase and and the founders on Cap. Uh, but uh, you know, are there any new product developments that are coming out uh, to support other you know e-commerce sellers? Um, yeah. So I guess your question is uh, is around like what other what other companies uh, support e-commerce brands that are interesting for me in the space? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So look, it's uh, I think I mentioned one, which is the most notable success case is Clavio. It's like a um all-in-one sort of like communication tool with your clients so mostly like email automation but not only really um and it's uh, an amazing company what well, they did extremely well obviously they were one of the early movers in the shopify space about eight nine years ago if i remember correctly and then they built this unbelievable partnership ecosystem where you know all the largest agencies in the world um they're specialized on cloud so they also have certification so they literally build an army of people that that, that do free marketing uh, for them, uh, and the product is 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 crazy, right? This is very good. It's best in class in what they do. They have excellent retention, um, and the way they price and they charge their clients is also like very fair but very smart at the same time. So I would say Clavio is uh, an excellent solution for uh, most of the commerce brands out there, especially if you operate on Shopify. Got it. And, you know, since the past three years, you know, um, there has been a lot of growth for ShopCircle. But what's been your biggest lesson when it comes to, you know, master product-led growth? Yeah. So so it, is it like, are you asking me what was the, the main driver for growth? Yeah. So I yeah. guess um, look, for us, product is, is very important, right? As long as you obsess over your client's needs, you build a great product based on what they actually communicate to you and we do have at the moment 7,000 interaction per month with our clients then the rest follows uh, we also do a lot of acquisitions but obviously what is very important when we do acquire companies is not just acquiring revenue or a piece for the sake of doing it but we do a very careful due diligence of the product that we get so you know in Shopify you can check reviews you can check the code that these apps are built on um, you can check what the client says and think, um, doing reference codes as well. And we launch um, a lot of products as well in-house. So um, overall, um, if, if you have a good product and you operate in a space where there is a lot of traffic, like Shopify, then usually your guy growth gets there, right? So you don't even have to pay for ads, but people 
find out about your solutions in the app stores because other people are using it. They, they rate you very highly and then you rank very highly as well in the app store. So there is this uh, very virtuous cycle. Um, and I think products is always the most important thing that it's a matter of like marketing, putting it together well, partnerships. So it's a mix of all the above. Um, and obviously we do m &A. So I think it was a combination. I wouldn't say that there is like a single secret sauce, right? It's a combination of a lot of factors, I guess. Building in an app store of a market, in a marketplace of apps uh, like you know Shopify, but you also have Salesforce, you also have Atlassian, uh, you can also like build uh, for Amazon. It gives you access to a lot of clients for a uh, relatively little bit of money, right? In comparison to the usual VC based business, so the amount of revenue that we spend on ads is very low because most of the traffic comes organically from the app store but obviously that only happens if you have a great product you get amazing reviews um and and people actually install the product after the first free trial so yeah it's it's pure product-led growth usually uh in marketplaces like for apps like shopify app store Got an interesting, and you made an interesting point about M and A. So, how do you, you know, we've had close to around fourteen acquisitions um, in the last three years. How do you look at, you know, M and A, uh, and is it a conscious, uh, uh, you know, fact to look at acquiring number of tools in a, in a particular quarter? Uh, can you walk through, you know, what's the what's the strategy? Yeah, look, it's it's very straightforward. We have um, a product roadmap, so we have our current product suite, which is a combination of 40 tools. And we know that we want to be the first operator of e-commerce software, right? So solve most of the problems and the needs that our clients have. So we have a product roadmap based on our assessment on the market and what, what are the main issues that our clients are facing every day. Um, and so acquisition helps us in addition to, you know, creating some of this up from scratch to go from where we are, the current product suite, to the product roadmap, right? So, um, yeah, we constantly screen the markets. Uh, we receive a lot of inbounds because most of the players in the App Store, they, they know about us. And obviously, if you're looking for liquidity solutions as a NAP founder in the Shopify App Store, there are not many options. So we receive a lot of inbounds. And we know what are the spaces that we're interested in. So opportunistically, we do make some acquisition if it makes sense in terms of getting us from where we are now to where we want to be. And yeah, that's that's what we do so far with it. About ten acquisitions, all of them well integrated with uh, uh with a whole platform of circle. The founder usually has a lot of freedom in terms of like staying or leaving. Um and yeah, it's working very well for us. Got it, interesting. And and when it comes to uh, you know building a team, you know, what's what's been the clearest sign of an outperformer? And and what is what are the signs of lack of performance uh, in uh, in the team, especially because you know shop circle started uh, around the time of COVID. Yeah, exactly. So uh, overperformance. Yeah, you you you, you need people uh, that go the extra mile, right? At the beginning, so we focus a lot on building a management team, which was already like good enough for a later stage company. So our CFO comes from um from from Shopify, sorry from uh um, years and years in investment banking our cto at the time stefan used to come from shopify um our chief revenue officer started like four businesses before 
So we wanted to uh, surround ourselves with our client from the very beginning, and that means that you need to give away some equity sometimes. But then, um, yeah, with time, uh, you realize that not everyone can be like this, um, right? So, uh, and, and that's totally fine. You don't need to have people like working as much as you do uh, all the time, like, you know, these 12 plus hours every day, because the incentives are also different. Um, but in terms of like overperformance and underperformance, it's just when you grow so much, you know, and you go like in our case from zero to 200 people in just three years, you will eventually, even if you're the best at choosing and hiring people, you will eventually have cases where you get it wrong. Um, and we did get it wrong uh, in a number of times so far. But let's say we, we got it right way more than we got it wrong. And um, yeah, I think, look, remote doesn't help in uh, selecting uh, the best talents working together with them because sometimes you're in the middle of somewhere with different time zone as well and you don't get to communicate with your team on a daily basis. Uh, it's very tricky um, and you know it can create disengagement uh, uh, in, the, in the team members. And so now we're trying to hire more and more in-house in and um, asking people to come to the office a bit more regularly. Um, and usually like, you know, they, they like it. They prefer working from the office whenever there is a possibility to do so rather than from home, which I think it makes a lot of sense. I've seen a lot of companies that, um, you know, shifted from the fully remote approach to a hybrid or like full in office approach. And I think it makes a lot of sense because, you know, collaboration of sitting next to someone, especially for the junior uh, members of the team that never really worked in a company before. It just accelerates everything in terms of like uh, productivity, but also like learning and networking and career opportunities for the different degrees. So yeah, it's, um, it's very much, you know, it's been a roller coaster over the last three years. So you had several cases of like overperformer and underperformers. The important thing is to align the incentives. So if someone deserves more and is performing very well, he needs to be able to do well, right? Which means, you know, have a right incentive structure, uh, but also like um, sort of like facilitate a quick career progression of that person, which makes sense because if the company is growing a lot and uh, it's a young company, uh, early joiners should have um, a recognition for that. Colored, no, absolutely, totally makes makes sense. And you know, how do you look at you know quarterly goals and KPIs for your team? Uh, and you know, how should uh, how should a leader look at prioritizing it more effectively? Yeah, look, I would say at the beginning, um, do not stress too much about KPIs or like at least in terms of financials, hard KPIs, because you probably when you start a business, you know, you haven't found a product market fit, so product yeah. comes first. Uh, then for us, it's a bit different now because it's a large team. We have a lot of clients, a lot of revenue, a lot of profit. So, yeah, it becomes more similar to almost like listed entities. You have a board, you set up a plan every single year, and then obviously you track your progress. So, um, yeah, uh, here again, is a, we use a bit of a, a bottom-up approach. So we speak with the different departments. We sit down, we shoot them, we understand what they can achieve. Uh, for um, the rest of the year based on how much we're willing to invest as well in the different areas. And then we come up with this budget that we break down into um, quarterly 
budgets as well. And for us, it's a bit different, obviously, because we acquire businesses as well. So it takes some time to integrate them. So it adds a bit of complexity. But overall, yeah, it's quite important to put together a strong plan, not too optimistic, and then deliver on that plan, right? Which is something that early stage companies don't do very often. I come from a very traditional background, Rohit. So I'm yeah. research, you know, covering listed entities. And if you are the CEO of the company, you miss the results, the quarterly results, you know, the share price usually uh, goes down quite, quite a bit on the day. Um, and so uh, that stayed with me a bit. So we always try to not um, come up with uh, very unreasonable projections, uh, even though we are early stage. Although, you know, that doesn't mean that, you know, you hit, need to hit 100% your number on every single year when you start a company, because reality is that most of the companies don't get also because, you know, if you start a VC baked business, your projection will be relatively high. You need to be ambitious. Uh, and especially in a time like this, like 22 and 2021, we've seen a lot of the growth coming down uh, across different markets, including commerce. But overall, we always remain disciplined and not over budgeting, um, not over raising. And that uh, turned out to be very handy now when a lot of like, you know, people and companies that are operating in a similar space, they're struggling just because they did too much too quickly. So it's good to be in the uh, conservatives on the conservative side, even though you are an early stage business. Got it. And uh, and you, you know, you, uh, in the last three years, you know, your your team has significantly grown. But uh, and I read somewhere that like you know, culture always breaks when you know team hits around hundred people. So how do you make sure that you know the culture and values are imbibed in the in the in the team so that once you're growing, you know, the the culture doesn't doesn't break? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, Look, uh, it's often like one of these things that you realize as a founder and you don't see it before starting a company. Um, but like, yeah, it's really like you say, when when you don't remember everyone's name, it's kind of like difficult to keep the culture together unless you have a very solid uh, procedure, values, uh, and principle as part of the company. So my recommendation would be to do that as soon as possible. So to, to hire a very good head of HR, um, and because, for instance, myself, I was not an expert when it comes to culture creation and values and principle. Um, and you might think that the whole concept of culture is a bit vague, but actually becomes very relevant uh, once you grow, right? Because you want to make sure that everyone is aligned without having to speak with everyone. And generally, that there is a good culture in the company that helps productivity. And it just feels good to see people happy to work um, um, in your company. So. Yeah, my personal recommendation is hire a head of HR as soon as you can, potentially like after you hit the 20 people milestone rather than, than 50. And um, yeah, make sure that you stick with your values and principle as you grow, uh, because you're right, soon you will you will hope that you did more um, earlier on. Got it. And uh, I also want to talk about growth. You know, what is the, the right ratio of success to failure within growth teams when they're looking at you know experimenting with different marketing and growth strategies yeah it's um it, it obviously we we work on products that now have thousands of reviews you know and there are a lot of positive reviews they've been in the market for a number of years especially the ones that we got from acquisition so and we know what we're doing right we're not uh 
crunch or lack anymore. So we have a very specialized partnership team, marketing and growth team, customer service team. And the initiatives that they work on now are very well consolidated initiatives. But at the same time, we always leave a buffer of capacity of different teams to experiment new things. And um, yeah, we're totally fine with a relatively high degree of failure, right? Uh, if you don't fail enough with new initiatives, it means probably that you're not pushing enough. Um, so we're launching new products all the time. We're launching new features all the time. We're coming up with different initiatives to reach out to the same clients and hopefully like offer more of our products and, and help them more. Um, and so, yeah, I don't think there is a ratio. Um, it's difficult to quantify exactly how many things go wrong, how many things go right, because it depends as well on the departments. It depends on how big is the product or the feature that you're planning to launch. But um, yeah, I think it's uh, very important for a company at our stage to keep innovating and do not sit on the current functionality because the world is moving so fast that everything that you build, if you don't innovate it, uh, especially in the software space, it will probably be redundant in three or four years. So yeah, yeah um, we always like instill this culture from the very beginning. We, you know, uh, I was a big fan of the book, uh, The Lean Startup. I know that you often ask your guests uh, about business books and Lean Startup. I think it's a mainstream book, right? Uh, it's, it's not extremely detailed, but it's a very good uh, way to start on, you know, um, innovative innovation overall as part of the company in startup and how to keep it as you grow. Um, so, yeah. Innovation is quite important and not so many people actually invest a lot of time in, in launching new products, but I think then they regret it. So we have a team of about like 100 engineers at the moment, and uh, many of them actually focus on R&D. Karen, super interesting. I you know, quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? No, oh, exactly. It's uh, one of the, the um, my favorite books is uh, the Lean Startup because it's something very practical. It's written by, you know, uh, operators. So it's really, and it's one of these things that you don't get to learn uh, until you start your own company, especially in the software space. So uh, for me, it was a lot of lessons that uh, we, we put into practice um, on a daily basis. And it's something that I ask the whole uh, team to read as well. And then there are a bunch of books on uh, different, you know, specific uh, how to build products in the software space or also like e-commerce uh, overall i read a lot of like business books to be honest but the lean startup is probably that some book that everyone working in this space uh, tech or the sales world should read at least once in their life got it got it uh, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes and you know if you could go back in time when you started working on shop circle what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently um yeah so um, what, what, sorry say that uh, ask uh, again the question please Rohit. yeah no absolutely so you know if you could go back in time when you started working on shop circle what is the one thing you would have focused on or done thing differently so yeah things that i would have done different um i think like uh look, to be honest um maybe like we stay in stealth mode for a very long time uh maybe like looking back in the past we should have like uh go out of stealth relatively uh sooner I mean, it's good to build in silence, uh, to be very honest, because you don't get too much distraction and teams really focus on this mission. But at the same time, uh, it's also good for your clients to get to know your products 
earlier on. So mixed feeling about uh, stealth or not stealth. I think it's good as long as you you know don't keep it for too long. And then uh, what else is? Uh, yeah, the other point is be aggressive, uh, but like uh, not too much, right? I mean, it's very easy for PC investors to tell you to be aggressive when everything is fine. And you might remember in the uh, beginning of 2022 after COVID, there were a lot of money coming into the industry, both e-commerce and software overall. And that, that narrative changed very fast, right? In the second half of 2022, beginning of 2023, people were saying, okay, you should burn less, you should invest less. So always be cautious. Um, it's You're doing something that is very risky anyway, starting a tech business, but it's important for you over the long term that you know, in order to be a good business over the long term, you should be able to generate cash flow. Um, and in order to do that, you should always like keep an eye on the cost, right? You should not think about growing revenue uh, at all costs and then think about profitability in year 10, 15. So uh, always better to be uh, safe uh, than, than sorry, especially when the market turns. So you should find the right combination of being aggressive, but at the same time, without doing too much. And usually like, you know, keeping a couple of years of runway is always like a good approach and then start raising, especially when the market is like this, when you're far away from going uh, out of business because of cash, right? So I usually recommend funders to start a fundraising process between 10 and 14 months runway. So yeah, these are the two biggest lessons that I learned and things that I would have done a bit differently going back. Got awesome. And, and do you have any favorite online tools, example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? Yeah, I mean, like all the, our communication uh, goes through Slack. So uh, Slack is an unbelievable product. I think I used to have different chats when I was in the corporates or in banking. Slack is just like 10 times uh, better. I was also like, you know, uh, an equity uh, investor personally because I used to love the product. Um, and then, um, yeah, but it's also like a Salesforce company and Salesforce overall is a great tool to do all our CRM um, through Salesforce. Um, and then um, I know that this is a bit controversial, but I love um, the Gmail suite. Um, so, you know, Google Meet, um, Calendar, all the integration that you can have across, um, if, you know, they made um, automation as well. So yeah, these three are part of my uh, daily tech suite. There is much more, um, but yeah, these three are things that I use on a daily basis multiple times. Got it, and absolutely, we'll put that in the show notes and look at what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about um, shopping. Yeah, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, so yeah, people can uh, reach me out there. Um, or like we have an info shop or call email uh, on our website where uh, people can ask questions about products, about joining Shop Circle. Um, so yeah, either the main website, uh, which is um, shopcircle.co or me personally on LinkedIn. Absolutely, we'll put that in, uh, 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 in, in, the, in the notes. Uh, thank you so much for taking our time and speaking to us. Uh, Luca, I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Thanks a lot, Roy, and uh, keep going. It's a great example of uh, entrepreneurship, I think, and you had amazing guests. Glad to be here. Oh, excellent. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast. 
where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.